we're almost done. We have three weeks left. Are there any, is there anybody in here that has been here for four years and they're not graduating? So raise your hand if you've been in here for four years and you're not graduating. Am I the only one? There's a, Rick Osborne's been here for four years. Thank you, Rick. I've been... I think I'm on that five and a half year program where you, you spend enough time to get a master's degree and you get... Uh, anyway. Return with me to James chapter 4. And I've been thinking about what I wanted to talk about this morning for a long time. I've known that I was going to do this for a couple months. And... Uh, there's, I guess there's, there's probably a lot of ways you can give a sermon, um, but two come to mind right now, and one of those is to sit down and maybe you're going through a passage or um, you're in the middle of a book, and to come to the next text and prepare a sermon from that text. And then the other way, which, which is what I, I normally enjoy hearing from pastors, is when there's something on a person's heart and that's what they want to share. And that's really what I want to do this morning. This is something that has been... Um, Really, really, I've thought about it off and on all four years here, about um, the experience of this college and um, the privileges and the responsibilities that go along with being at a school like this, and the, the joys, the trials, the ups and downs, whatever. And the, the fear I have really this morning, and what I want to be really clear with you is, um, is I, I, like I'm doing right now, I don't want to ramble so that it makes sense to you. And uh, anyway, I'll, I'll come to that later. James chapter 4, verse 17. To him who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. To him that knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. I calculated the other day how many sermons we've heard this year. We've heard over 120 sermons just this school year. We've heard sermons on prayer, a few of those. Sermons on discipleship, sermons on the sovereignty of God on trusting in God, on God's faithfulness. We've been challenged to have a world vision, to have a heart for missions. We've been challenged to serve others, to be involved in a ministry, to be involved in our church. At men's retreats, we've had two of those, one each semester, and we've been challenged to be men of God. We've been challenged to, have, uh, to be a man with God's heart, to seek after what God wants. The women just got back from a retreat, and I wasn't there, but you were challenged to be, to be women of God to be women that were longing after the things that God would want you to long after. And in light of that verse, let me read that again. To him who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. We know an awful lot. Everybody in here. I mean, if you just, by the very nature, whether you want to or not, if you've sat in these chapels and you have to because we're required to be here, you're going to hear an awful lot of things. And we know the right thing to do. And that's a, that's a really powerful statement to me that I'm responsible for everything that I've heard in, in chapel or in two church services a week at least or in a, whatever ministry we're involved in. We're responsible for the things that we've heard and that we've learned. So in this school, it's, it is an incredible privilege, but there's an incredible responsibility that goes along with that. The responsibility to, to live up to what we've been taught the responsibility to live out what we've been taught. And what I really want to do is piggyback kind of on Mr. Bookman's message last Wednesday. He talked about terminal fuzziness, about how Christianity, to be a Christian doesn't mean anything anymore. And he, he got me thinking about a, a seminar I went to, and I, the very name of it's funny, I guess, that I was there, but it was called a think tank. And I was, I was accidentally invited to it by um, somehow 
the mail got sent to me, and I went to this thing in Washington, D.C., and the speaker there was Oz Guinness. And it was, uh, it was the president and the executive vice presidents of um, all the major colleges of the Christian College Coalition sitting in a room and mulling over the main topic. And the topic was the state of evangelicalism today and redefining evangelicalism and redefining Christian. And this may sound overstated, but it is a real tragedy that that would be the main topic, I think, at a, at a seminar like that with Christian colleges. And what I mean is they were sitting there and the word Christian carried with it no weight. And that was the debate. And they got intellectual about it and they talked about it from all different aspects. But the basic, the basic argument of what they were talking about is the fact that to be a Christian now, to say I'm a Christian, for me to go to work and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, of course you're a Christian, you're American. So you're a Christian and a capitalist. Those two things, it's automatic. And, and, I, and that's, I mean, that should really hit us. And that really did Wednesday when he said that, that we should be distinctive. When he talked about a terminal fuzziness, about being distinctive in where we are and what we do, that we should want people when we go to the grocery store. We should want people when we go to work. We should want people when wherever we're at to know that we're Christians. That should be our desire. That's what, that's what we should want from them. So if you turn with me back a couple pages to James chapter 1. And starting in verse 18, this is what I want to focus on this morning. Starting in verse 18, James chapter 1. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Let's pray for you, Father. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now and I ask that I would not stand in the way of what you would have taught this morning and that you would just give me the ability and the wisdom to communicate clearly what you've laid on my heart. Lord, thank you for the school and the opportunity that, and the privilege that we have to be here. Lord, I, just, I pray that we understand that with that privilege comes responsibility and that we are willing to look to you for the strength to live up to that. We thank you for and praise you for this time we've had to worship you. In the most precious name, amen. In verse 18, I think the, the first thing that's important to understand, where it says, in the, exercise of, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The first thing that we need to understand and needs to be really clear is where we come from and who we belong to. We are God. And that, that should be a very significant thing to us. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, it says, I can't remember what it says, we are not God's, for what is it? we are God's, not our own, we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in our body. We need to understand that we belong to God. We aren't our own. It's not, we shouldn't be sitting back and saying, what do I want to do with my life? Or should, what we should do is decide, what does God want me to do with my life? What is it that God wants me to do because I'm His? And every decision we make and every action that we do should come out of that understanding. 
understanding that God has begat us, that we belong to Him and we're not ourselves, and that we should glorify Him with our bodies. When Ken Ullman was here a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you remember this, I wrote this quote down because it really hit me. It said, when God chose us because He loved us so much, He put His name on the line with us. When God chose us because He loved us so much, He put His name on the line with us. That, is, that was a really powerful statement. And I, you can carry that to an extreme that God is going to be glorified in the end anyway. But with you and your job, when, when you go to work wherever you, or whatever it may be or in your dorm room, you may come in contact with somebody and you're going to say you're a Christian. Well, you better live up to that name. To be a Christian means you're associating yourself with the person of Christ. I belong to Christ. And again, it, the, we hear this all the time. And that's what... It, I wish that It's almost like I wish I could just talk to one-on-one to everybody in here and, and present it like that because it's, it's hard in a setting like this to, for sometimes for things like that to sink in. We belong to Christ. We are His. And we need to live like that wherever we're at. We need to make every decision in our lives knowing that, that we are putting the name of Christ on the line. That when people see us and we say we're a Christian, we have a responsibility to live with what that name means. Verse 19 and 20. This you know, my beloved brethren. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. After verse 18, seeing who we belong to, certain things should happen. And that's what really verses 19 through 21 are talking about. We should be swift to hear, slow to speak. And I always think, I'm terrible at this. If I'm in an argument or discussion with somebody, I don't, I don't hear what you have to say half the time. If I'm sitting here talking to you, what I'm doing is formulating my comeback before... Has anybody ever done that? Like a lot of people, most people do. Well, we're sitting there and, and you're, you're quick to speak, slow to hear. And, uh, I mean, we've heard it before. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason and we should take that into account. Verse 21. Therefore, again, a reaction to knowing who we belong to. Put aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness that some up there don't sin. I mean, put away filthiness and then there's still going to be wickedness left and put aside everything else that remains. And then in humility, receive the implanted word. Now, I normally use the King James and for Mark's sake, I'm using the NASB this morning. But the word in the King James for implanted is the word engrafted. And if I can give you a picture of what that means, when I, um, when I was in late elementary school, junior high, we lived on a, a ranch and one of the things they grew there was was uh, walnuts. And there's two basic types of walnut trees. And if there's a farmer here, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this later. But you have a black walnut and an English walnut. Now, the problem with the black walnut is that um, the nuts are really hard and there's not a lot of meat on the inside of a walnut. But the root system to the, the black walnut tree is really strong. An English walnut tree is the one where... The English walnut is the one we're all used to eating. They're easier to crack and then there's a lot of nut on the inside. Anyway, what they would do... And this is incredible. They would cut both trees off about three feet off the ground and they would put the English walnut tree on top of the black walnut base and they would actually grow together. So you'd have the root system of a black walnut tree and yet you'd still have the fruit of an English walnut tree. And what that's called is engrafting. Now, read that verse in line of this. Receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. When I thought about the word of God being implanted in my life or engrafted in my life, understanding kind of today that what grafting means, that 
that is powerful to understand the Word of God should be so much a part of us that it should be our foundation. It's black walnut, whoa. It's our black walnut roots and then we're, we're going to implant ourselves and engraft ourselves on top of it and then still produce fruit from that base, from that to be engrafted into the world. And it's also important, I think, to understand that that's not a natural thing that happens. One walnut tree doesn't look at another and say, I, I think we should engraft. It just doesn't work that way. So it's something that is hard and we need to work at. It's something that it's not going to be a natural thing for us to sit here and respond to every chapel message that's been given. It's something that has to be taken care and, and done and looked at. And then in verse 22, but prove yourselves, but be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive yourselves. The main reason I spoke on this this morning and decided to speak on this is because I think there's three options in verse 22 that we can have. We're faced with, with three different options of how to respond to the Word. And I don't say this condemningly, but I think two of those are really common at this school. And I'm speaking from experience because I fell into both extremes at times. There's, there's three different things that we can do in response to that verse. The first one is to be hearers only. We see there that we're supposed to be doers of the Word and not hearers. So there's obviously a contract to the people that are just hearers. And the first thing that we need to notice about that is the end of verse. They're deceiving their own selves. If you're a hearer, the only person you're deceiving is yourself. You may fool us for a while. You may fool your roommate for a while. But if you're not, you're not doing anything with the Word, you're not tricking anybody. You're, you're not getting away with it. You're not fooling God. And then in verse 23, if you look 23 and 24, it describes a hearer. If anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. The best way for me to, to picture this is with a spring banquet coming up. Imagine, okay, girls, you, you get ready and you've spent, I don't know, how long it takes you to get ready. And you have your dress on and you have your shoes on and your jewelry and your makeup and everything's perfect and your date's going to be there. It's like 5.15 and he's supposed to... You're supposed to be there at 5, so you still have 5 minutes before you're supposed to be up there. And You look in the mirror, just kidding, you look in the mirror, and you forgot to do your hair. You didn't do anything with your hair. So what do you do? Well, you walk away, and then walk away from the mirror, and you, wait, what was that? And you go on your date. Now, that's ridiculous. That No one in here would do that. But this, this, picture, this verse here is saying that anyone's a hearer is like a person that looks in the mirror, and then forgets what he's like as soon as he leaves. Now think about the person that comes to chapel. Let's say it's a Friday chapel and you haven't done your devotions all week long. All week long you've been putting them off and it's getting easier and easier and you knew you should have done it. And you came to chapel and the speaker spoke on being in the Word and being committed to God and seeking, seeking Him every morning and, and enjoying His new mercies and longing after God. And you're sitting there and you're looking in the mirror. Your hair is messed up, if you will. And He has just shown you that with the mirror of His Word that your hair is messed up. And then we walk out the back door and we go on our date. We finish out our day and we don't do anything about it. Now, just as ridiculous as it is for someone getting ready for a date to look in a mirror, notice their hair, it's just that ridiculous for someone to come in here to chapel or to go to church or go to a Bible study see that their, their heart, their hair is messed up and not do anything about it. It is just that ridiculous. Again, we're Christians. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, let's act like it. 
Let's do something with what we've learned. The second option. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. It's important. That word merely is really important because the contrast is not just be doers, not hearers, but be doers, not only hearers, implying that we should do both. The other extreme of just being a hearer is being just a doer. And this is also really easy on this campus. It's really easy at this school. You go to church twice a week. You're involved in some midweek Bible study of some sort, maybe, maybe a ministry. You're involved in, you're on WOW staff, so you have a WOW staff meeting where you're praying together. You're an RA, so you have wing meetings, you have whatever it is, the list can go on and on about things that we do and we do. And they're good things. It's not that they're bad things. But the measure of that, to me, is my motive in doing that. Am I, am I doing it to please man or am I doing it to please God? I think of, um, well, the one thing about this we also need to notice is it's harder to detect. And that's why I think it's so common. And this is where I fall prey a lot. Where doing things that are good and you're doing things that you know that are right and people can't see it. Because you're doing things you should be doing. And it's harder to see and it's harder. But it's just as bad as being a person that's here and not a doer. And the, he's not the doer that is responding to what God has taught him in his life responding to the fact that the Word has been engrafted into his life and that's what's causing him to do. It's almost like theologically we would say, well, I believe in salvation by grace. Through faith, it is the gift of God, not of works, so you mention both. But then in practice, we believe in a work salvation. And I, I mean, that's an extreme, and I know I'm taking an extreme on that, but we live like that sometimes. We live like what we do is how we're going to get to heaven. What we do, you know, if, if I'm such and such a type of person on my wing I'm going to please my RA because I can be an RA next year then or whatever it is rather than just doing what we, what we do to please God. And then the third response which is obviously what I would say God has called us to be and uh, I'm stealing this this is not original to me but it's, it's the beer not the beer but the beer and he is the person the beer is the doer here He's the person that understands who he is. He understands who he belongs to. He understands that he's God's, verse 18. He puts away sin in his life. He puts away the wickedness. He puts away the filthiness. He's swift to hear. He's slow to speak. He's slow to anger. He allows the Word of God to be a part of who he is. He allows it to be engrafted into his life, and then he does something with it. And then he responds to it. It doesn't mean that person's perfect. Maybe that person... The person we talked about a minute ago, maybe you come into chapel and you haven't done your devotions all week long. And then you come into chapel and, and you hear the same message about how you should be in the Word. But then what's your response? You comb your hair. Do you know what I mean? You don't just hear it, and you're not just doing so busy that you don't hear it all, and you're not so busy that nothing ever sinks in, but you allow the Word to come into your life and change it, and you do something about it, and you act upon it. And we have, like I said at the beginning, we have an awful lot to act upon. And we have a lot of opportunities to fail in that. They say if you do something straight for 15 days that it becomes a habit. Imagine if whatever we were challenged to do in chapel, that we did that every day and we committed to doing that every day for 15 days and it became a habit of our lives. Can you imagine the type of people we'd be? I'm not even saying it's possible, but that's what we should strive for. In verse 25, it describes, the, it describes the doer and the hearer of the word. 
but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. And I hope I'm not taking this too far, but think again of the oak tree or the, the walnut tree illustration. And imagine yourself as the English walnut tree and the black walnut tree is the root of the word. It's what you're going to be engrafted into. What's going to happen? What happens when, when you do that is you produce fruit. And I think that's, just, that, that's basically what it's saying here. This man will be blessed in what he does. That's how we live a blessed life. That's how God can use us. God doesn't use the person that's going to sit here and just listen to everything and not respond to it. And though it's harder to detect, He doesn't use the person that is doing all the time, though you may be doing good things, that is not what God wants. And if you respond to the Word and you know that He has told you, this is what I should do, you've heard it and then you respond to it and you let it change your life, that, that is the man that's blessed. I think... I was telling this to Christian last night and... I, um, it's hard in a chapel like this because in, in any chapel for any speaker because I don't I'm not getting up here expecting everybody to respond to what I'm saying and I think that would be unrealistic a lot of you right now I don't say a lot of you there's probably or there could be some people in here that are just hearing it and or are just doing it and you know that you're struggling with that you know you're the person that does and doesn't really hear and doesn't allow the word to change your life and so my challenge this morning is to get past the fact that I'm not a very good speaker, get past the fact that you're busy and there's a lot going on, and get past the fact that there's an awful lot of other things to worry about, and allow God to challenge you to become doers of the Word, people that respond to what we, we hear here. And uh, again, that is an awful lot. I think if I only took two or three of the chapels seriously this year and responded to them that I'd be a different person than I am now. And this is more, I, in a large part, a message to me more than it is to you. And uh, I think that's just the way it works. You learn off a lot. What I'd like to do, if you would, is if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. If you feel like you've been a person that falls in one of those two categories a person that is not doing anything about things that are in their lives that the Word has told them to correct. Or if you're a person that's busy, and it's so easy to do this time of year, you're a person that's so busy that you haven't had time to hear the Word, would you just confess that to God? Would you just take some time to, to pray and, and just ask God to forgive you and ask Him to make you a, a hearer that responds, a doer of the Word, to be a beer? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look for His time to mm-hmm.
dismissed.